Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 87, Dina Wakely Media, recorded on February 6th, 2019. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Chubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So I have been locked in an existential crisis for the last 24 hours, as you know, uh, which is I'm renovating this house and they took down the wall between the kitchen and the dining room. And it turns out that it's not a load bearing wall. And I saw the sort of big open space for the first time. And I started to say, oh, my gosh, maybe I should throw away the, you know, uh, plans that we have and open it all up. And you actually said something very, very smart to me that was related to painting. Do you remember? No, so why don't you remind me? (laughs) (laughs) It it was yesterday. Um, So you said to me, this is like when you're working on a painting Uh and something starts to happen in the painting. And the question is, like, do you try to force it to where you thought it should go or do you kind of embrace what comes up, you know, and let it take you down another path, even though it's not necessarily what you planned? Gosh, that is smart. Isn't it? I thought it was rather brilliant because, you know, I think that what I had when I sat down to really think about what was making me not, you know, want to put the wall back up, it was based on like these, the fact that I had planned it that way and I had thought about it that way for so long and I had looked at so many architectural plans where that wall had been there. So letting go of that idea was really hard and I think that that happens all the time in painting and crafting and art making of all kinds right which is we get attached to an idea of what we think it's supposed to be or gonna be and then you can't let go of it and so you end up doing something that's kind of neither where you want it to be nor where you are so I'm hoping to take your advice oh what a that's a first it is a first maybe I'll take maybe I'll I'll turn it around say it was actually my advice And make it work. I will Um, say this. It's not just in art. It's that's the way it is in life. Stuff comes along and you have to look at everything and say, instead of thinking, oh, this is not what I planned. Say, is this something that could work for me better than what I had imagined? You know, don't turn down things in a knee jerk way without considering whether it works for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because we always hear that thing, right? When a door closes, like another one opens or something like that. And so you 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 get that idea that sometimes disappointment can turn you towards something else. But maybe the thing is when the door closes, like look around the room and see what else there is. Do you need a door? So have you come to a conclusion? I don't know that I have firmly come to a conclusion. Right now I am leaning towards leaving the wall down. It seems Yay. like the better choice. I know. <laughs> no wall, no wall. Uh, but I just, I need to like really process a little bit okay. more what that means. But that's my inclination at the moment. And of course I took an Instagram poll and it was like 99% of people were like, take down the wall. So my 500 times of pressing yes have come to fruition. There you go. Good job, Mom. Um, But someone who is very good at listening to where her work wants to go is our guest today, who is Dina Wakely. And Dina is a mixed media artist and teacher. She loves everything about art, creating it, thinking about it, looking at it, teaching it. And from her uh, Instagram and from personal knowledge, I will say sort of being in it and covered by it. Um, she has been scrapbooking since 1995, stamping since 1996, and art journaling since 2004. She believes in writing yourself down, expressing yourself, and making your mark on the world. As a Ranger signature designer, Dina designs a line of mixed media art supplies that includes acrylic paints, mediums, brushes, rubber stamps, stencils, and more. I just used one of her stamps the other day, which is her handwriting, which is really a great stamp. Um, Dina lives in Arizona with her husband and three boys, affectionately termed the fellas. And with a love of teaching and traveling, Dina travels the world to teach and share her passion with students on every continent. So hello, Dina. Hello. Every continent, Antarctica. That's the only one I'm missing. (laughs) Maybe the, you know, the polar bears are awfully white. They could use some color. A little bit of paint would just pep them up a little bit. Right. Yeah. You, do, you do travel like a crazy person. I mean, all Fine. the time. I must say, I salute you. You know, it, it sucks your soul away a little bit. But the problem the problem is I have three uh, college-age children. Oh. So. No, I get that. I get that yeah, totally, so it's, yeah. It's just a matter of I have to work, so I might as well do something fun cool well, I like. what a good mother you are letting pieces of your soul be sucked away for your children 
I'm a giver. There you go. Um, so, Dina, I was trying to think about uh, when we first met, and it's actually long enough ago that I cannot recall it. Was it at CHA? I don't know. I don't know if it was a CHA. I don't know if it was at a class. I don't know. I don't know. It's a curious question, but I couldn't in my memory banks pull it up. I know that I had seen your work online and maybe we met through two Ps. Is that possible? Yeah, that that's possible. Were you on Scrappin' Style TV website? Do you remember that one? Oh, I totally do remember it. That was like the cool scrapbooking. Yeah, that was the place for the artsy, funky scrapbooker. And were you on there? Because it might have been from there. Yes. Yeah, I bet. I bet that's where it was. That must. Did, did you first place. meet in person? Do you think at CHA? Yeah, that must have been. Yeah, has to have been. I yeah. can't imagine where else it would be. But yes, so that was a while ago. And you, uh, you, I think, did you ever do traditional scrapbooks or were you always an artsy scrapbooker from the very beginning? No, from the beginning, none of us knew what we were doing. So right. we, I definitely, <laughs> if traditional, by traditional, you mean uh, Mrs. Grossman's sticker sneezes and Fisker's uh, dragon scale scissors cutting all my photos. Yes, I did all, <laughs> I did all those things, but eventually as my interests changed, my scrapbooking definitely took a more artsy turn. And so back in the day when I was on different teams, I was always, you know, asked to be on teams for being the token artsy one. You know, I, all, there were all these regular scrapbookers, and then I was the weird one that sewed on photos, and people would say, oh, not your precious photos, you know, and I was sewing on them back before digital cameras were around and we could print out millions of copies. I just didn't care. So, you know, I was always weird. Well, I mean, do you think, I, you've always said that, you know, uh, through now, and I think it's a big part of your teaching, is just people need to, like, relax and not I keep things so precious, Right not worry about it so much. And do you think that comes naturally to you? It does come naturally to me. And, but I've realized that it does not to most people. And I don't know how you change people's mindsets, but I always say you need to have really low art standards because if you're doing <laughs> <when> you're, <laughs> if you're really hard if you're really hard on yourself and you hate everything you do and you're totally whipping yourself constantly with your no, with your spaghetti noodles or whatever, however, however you punish yourself, then I honestly don't get it. Like I literally do not care if my art is crap. I just don't because quality comes with quantity. And so, you know, I just, I don't care. But well, I think, I think that's a really important point that you just said about quality coming with quantity because you are prolific and when you create, it's usually in multiples, right? Yeah, I remember I always tell the story that I went to this weekend event and everybody was art journaling and, you know, keep in mind they were drinking and I wasn't. So, you know, I did have, <laughs> I did, I did have sobriety on my side, but everybody made about one journal page and I think I made 14. Uh, and so it's wow. just, you know, I'm just quick. I, I don't get caught up in, you know, minute details something will get me excited and I'll think oh I want to do that again but I want to change it this way and so I do work quickly my natural uh, you know speed is quick 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 which can get get me into trouble too but does this anyway. extend to other areas of your life like do you make decisions quickly in other in other realms I think that's a good question I'm I'm pretty impulsive I mean I've done all kinds my poor husband I've done all kinds of ridiculous things <laughs> I, I said to him once, I think I'm having a midlife crisis. And he, you know what he said? He said, I think you've been having one for two years. And I thought, <laughs> he, he never said a word. He never was like, why are you buying live animals without consulting me? <laughs> or wow. well, one time I went to the post office and I came home with a new car. It was so funny Whoa. because the, the, the guy, the poor sales kid had to follow me home because I didn't have my oh. checkbook. And because, um, you know, I wasn't planning on buying a car that and day. And you had two cars then. I mean, you yeah. had to, somebody had yeah. to bring the other car home. Exactly. Good for you. I must say I admire that because I think a lot of time is spent second guessing oneself, wondering what other people are going to think about it 
fighting between, we've had this conversation before, between what you want to do and what you think you ought to do. And that's a lot of wasted energy. It, it is. But, you know, but to be fair, to I am a big worrier. So, you know, I lay in bed at night and don't sleep and worry about everything. But, as you know, as far as art and stuff like that goes, I'm impulsive. Where I'm not impulsive is, should I make a change <laughs> in the, in, you know, this flaming fire that I find myself in? I have a hard time making changes and I'm a pleaser. So I have a hard time saying no to things. And so I, the only person who suffers in that situation is the person who can't say no. <laughs> so you think I'd learn, you know, I'm 49. You'd think I would learn, but but I think that's the thing is that which is there are certain ways in which we're hardwired. And I think the most important thing is because you said, like, can you sort of change people who aren't wired to do a certain way? And I don't think you can actually change people's wiring. But the more you're aware of your reactions to stuff, the more you can fight against it. So, like, if you know that you hold your artwork precious and it takes you 12 hours to finish you know, an art journal page, then, of course, if I put 12 hours into anything, it's seriously precious. You know, so if you can know that that's the thing that you do, maybe you force yourself to make things quicker just so that, you know, if you made 12 things in 12 hours, you would feel less special each one was, you know? Very true. Yeah, I agree. And I think so many, I was, would say about my kids, they come how they come. And I think that's really true with us. I agree with us being hardwired a certain way. And so I think self-realization is, okay, this is how I'm wired. And I either don't want to be OCD or I do, you know, maybe want to put my laundry away once in a while and have a little OCD. And so that's where. <laughs> or like, I, hey, I would... I'm, I'm OCD. And so some of the good things about that are I'm going to organize, you know, my my studio so that it's like perfectly neat and clean. Right. And and I wish I had a little a little touch of that. <laughs> it's true. Mom, are you dying? Well, I was coughing and then I couldn't remember how to turn off the mic. <laughs> Not that I'm laughing at you coughing. Yeah, but, you are. Yes, but get some water and we'll <laughs> find you again. Um, so can you hear that? Yes, I can hear oh, that. Then I guess I've totally lost it. Hit All the right. ear thing until That's the thing I on did. your mic turns red. The other ear then. I see it. It's on it's the mic. It's on my head. It's on the mic <laughs> that you can see in front Forget of your me. face. Just keep moving. It's hard to forget you. You're coughing and I'm worried that you're dying. Well, I won't, I won't do it during the podcast. Okay. Well, by the way, this is totally off topic, but this is the way this always goes. The uh, electrician came today because I had heard a crackling noise coming from the outlets. Just is just speaking of dying. And it turns out that we did have a loose wire. And he, when he was working on it, had a little problem. And there were some sparks. And it was a very exciting morning. So nobody Good died then. For noticing. Exactly. Nobody should die again today. Okay. So back just, on topic. I just <laughs> yes. want to say back on topic that this conversation reminds me of the time you taught a, uh, was it a sewing or quilting class in New York? And you asked people to swap fabric, fabric and oh. they went nuts. Yeah. Because right. you get so self-identified with your things, your style, your embellishments, whatever, and you can't let go of it to explore the possibilities. Well, you I've know, that was, that was I always thought that was interesting because that was commercial fabric that they had bought. It wasn't even stuff that they had made. And I just wanted them to trade like these four inch squares. So it's not like it was even an enormous amount, but they just lost their minds. And, you know, I've always remembered that because I was surprised with the violence about how people felt about their stuff. Um, but then they all agreed, of course, in the end that their work was better because they had used these fabrics they didn't like, which made the fabrics they did like, you know, look better, different, however you want to put it. But, you know, I recently did an exercise in a class where we did some collaborative painting where I had these big rolls of paper and people, you know, would move station to station, just adding, you know, stuff to it. And I think the thing that was interesting is people said they felt an enormous amount of freedom because they knew it wasn't theirs and they weren't going to get, quote unquote, stuck with their messes. Hmm. That's kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean, you also recently have this thing where people brought fabric and then they were supposed to take some other fabric. And yeah, which... but that's like, that's a different thing. That's more like the fabric swapping. This is really, and I think this gets to what Dina, you were talking about, about like, 
you know, when you don't care about what's happening, you just work faster. Mm-hmm. And, you, work, yeah. you work faster and you give yourself permission to make discoveries. Or, you know, you're not putting something in a pigeonhole that says it has to look or be a certain way. And that's right. how, you know, all artistic growth happens, I think. And, you know, so if you are hardwired to not do that, then you got to realize that and maybe set a timer 15 minutes a day where you only paint with your left hand and your eyes closed or, you know, you do something consciously to change, to change. Um, I think the the other thing is in order to get to that change, you have to be okay with being really crappy. I agree. I agree. But how to be, how to be really crappy. (laughs) How to be really crappy with Dina Wakely. Um, (laughs) uh, You know what's funny too? I always laugh because I'll I'll paint. I always say the worst art in class is usually made by me because you know twenty five people are looking at you and you're demoing and then you're talking at the same time and you're telling dumb stories you shouldn't be telling and you know it just it's never my art in class is never that fabulous. But you know I'll demo and people go ooh and then they take a photo and go back to their seat and then they make something and I walk around and they and they there they hate it and then I always think well, it looks like I made it. I mean. Because it came out of my hand, they assign a different value. And then because the same thing came out of their hand, they think it sucks. And I just think, well, I don't understand why we do that to ourselves. You know, why this? Julie, this gets to, Julie went to a program at the Museum of Fine Arts last night, a connoisseurship program. And one of the talks was, tell about the, talk about the, so one of the talks was about this idea of like master and apprentice. So like Botticelli's workshop or the Titian workshop, you know, Botticelli and Titian didn't actually paint their paintings, right? They maybe right. came in and did a face or they like told you what they wanted you to paint. Yeah. I mean, you know this, you're a docent at the museum. So the talk was basically about like, how can you look at a painting and tell which part is the artist and which part is likely the apprentice? The workshop. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's, you know, an interesting idea because somebody actually in the crowd pointed out because they keep saying, basically they said anything that was good in the painting was the artist, right? Like any, like any like beautiful face or well done hand or like attractive, you know, brushwork must have been the artist and everything else was the apprentice. And somebody said, how can that be true? Like, wasn't there maybe somebody in the workshop who was like really good at hands and they did all the hands? Mm-hmm. And somebody who was really good at flowers and they did all the flowers or something. And, you know, the curator was pretty much like, no. And I thought it was an interesting question, right? Because it is this idea of like, we we look at something and we're like, oh, because, you know, he's, he's Titian and he's famous. Like, he must have done that, you know, whereas the parts that aren't good couldn't have been him. And I think we do the same thing, like, when a student looks at your work and is like, oh, my God, Dina's amazing. She just did this thing, you know, and when I do the same thing, it doesn't – it's not as good because you're the master. Yeah. It's a weird hierarchy, though, which is self-imposed. I mean, I, I don't impose that hierarchy. I don't think of students in class as students. Really. I mean, you might say student because that's the jargon, but they're fellow artists. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree because I, I think I it's like, just, yeah. So the curator, did the curator agree that everything good was painted by the artist and everything not good was the apprentice? Pretty much. I mean, what he basically said is like, is it possible that there was someone who like did a lot of hands and so they were the hand person? Sure. But for the most part in every painting, he was like, this part's good. So that was Titian. This part's good. That was Titian. This part's not good. So that must have been an apprentice, this part. And I was like, that's just so interesting because it assigns the idea that like the master can never fail uh-huh. and the apprentice can never be successful somehow. You know, which we know is, is not true because think, how, I mean, you put, you put something on your Instagram either today or yesterday, I don't know, saying you make a lot of bad art and you had cut the shape into the star by, you know, reduction. I would say reduction saves everything. But, I mean, I make a crap ton of bad art. And so I just think, surely the masters, you know, did stuff that didn't work too. I just have a hard time believing they didn't because otherwise they're not human. They're robotic or, you know, superhuman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And I think that it is 
it isn't it's kind of like how we do now with a lot of contemporary art where if somebody is a famous artist and they do something, we try to find the ways in which it's good because they're a famous artist as opposed to if a no-name artist did the same work, you you might have a lot of criticism about it. You know, when I was a docent at the Phoenix Art Museum, um, we have a de Kooning there and the, the painting that we have is called Woman in the Pool. Well, the you know, it's de Kooning. There's no woman. There's no pool. It is literally a series of, of uh, abstract brushstrokes, impasto. I mean, it, you know. Anyway, so this is the this is docent lore. So this is the famous story, that a docent was giving uh, the a tour to sixth graders, and they were talking about this painting and de Kooning, and this kid raised his hand and he said, "So would this even be in the museum if it weren't by a famous guy?" Mm. Uh-huh. And, and you know so that just they would bring that up you know during um trainings for docents since you know asking us how would you respond and you know i don't know how the original docent responded but you know probably not <laughs> you know but you know fine arts so that is a whole nother ball game that's all the the fine art criticism and metacriticism that goes on is is you know it's mind blowing because it's it hard to know, and it's the kind of thing where, and I've done, I've been guilty of this. You go to a smaller market museum, and they have like a a lesser Picasso, a lesser Matisse. You know what I mean? And it's like it is a Picasso, it is a Matisse, but it's not like one of the big, you know, ones. And maybe it's kind of like not one of their best works, but you know, because it has their name on it, it's there. It's in a primo location. It's special, right? Yeah, I can only hope that my lesser works will find their way to somebody who thinks that they're special. The museum of yeah. my house oh, there you go. <laughs> with all my mugs. You know what's third funny? <laughs> they do studies in museums about how many seconds a person will stop and look at a painting, and it mm. averages seven seconds, which is interesting. But seven seconds is not very much time to take in an artwork. But if the painting has a famous name attached to it you know then the you know people seem to think that it must be good or it must be more important you know the phoenix art museum is i hate to throw them under the bus but they're a good example of this because all the famous paintings that are published in every art history book for every college student those are collected those are in the louvre and they're in the d'orsay and they're in you know they're in the Reichs. They're not in the Phoenix Art Museum. And so the Phoenix Art Museum has this Monet that, of course, is on the cover of every collection catalog. And, you know, what what gets so much attention is this Monet when there are other pieces in that gallery by lesser known artists that are, you know, maybe more interesting or, you know, yeah. yet who stand, they all stand in front of the Monet. Yeah. I it's think it's... That gets assigned. I think it's an ongoing issue where we are so afraid to say, I don't like this and I do like this, that we we need the comfort of other people telling us what is good and what is bad to feel secure about it. And so for me, like a lot of that, uh, you know, uh, sort of Monet worship or famous artist worship comes out of this idea of that you know, because Clement Greenberg said so, we all should agree yes. with it. Yeah. But don't you think we do it that to our own work? That's yes. why we look at what we do and think, well, this sucks, or this isn't as good as so-and-so. Uh, you know, you're in a class, you're like, well, it doesn't look like the teachers. It shouldn't. It shouldn't look like the teachers. Gosh, heaven forbid, you don't want a million Dina clones. I'm, one of me is enough in this world. I'm annoying. Uh, well, here, so, I, I was, I was going to say I agree, but I don't want to agree with the fact that you're annoying. But I was going to say, I agree with the fact that I think it's always a problem for me when people um, come to class and want to create recreate something that looks like the teacher, because it's a problem because, A, I don't know why you would want to create work that looks like somebody else's work. If you're a fan of their work, buy a piece of their work and then make your own art. B, if you can't actually walk out of a even six hour, even three day class with a piece that looks like the person who's teaching it, then they are not a very good artist 
because the work that they're doing is, you know, I would say not something that they've had to work years at to understand color theory, line, design. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something weird about you being able to replicate that so quickly. Right. Because art, unless you're, you know, forging fine art (laughs) and you're purposely duplicating, you know, you do want your own voice in there. And I think that's, one of the goals and you know you come to I always say I teach technique based um, art not um, project based and that there will be as many different looks as there will be hands that made it and that that is how it should be yet there is this you know value that students assign you know this one's better this one isn't or you know my own isn't very good or you know I just I I do joke with my class all the time and I kid them I say hi have high moral standards but really low art standards Um, (laughs) this should this should be an absolute blast this should be you know wading in the mire and I always say you might you might hate it and then in in a year you might figure out how to not hate it or you know you might learn a new technique that you're like oh that's what that means but i genuinely don't hate anything i mean i have made stuff and think well that one's goofy today you know but there's always another painting in the pipe there's always another journal page there's always i don't you know what you know what i think contributes to it is the social media culture oh you know terrible. this idea that, yeah the, this idea that it has to go on the internet and then you have to have likes so people will say oh how you know what's your how many likes did you get on that i'm like i don't know i never go back and look at likes. I, it, it has never occurred to me to do that yet. You know, there are people that get self-esteem from that validation, I guess. Well, it's like, unless you're a performance artist and then maybe yeah. even not, you know, the question is why, if you, if you go towards the work that other people like rather than the work that you like, the problem that ends up happening is you constantly need other people in order to know whether something is good or bad or mm-hmm. whether you're, you know, doing well or not. And I think it reminds me a little bit of they say now in parenting that you're never supposed to tell your children that you're proud of them because that creates a situation where when they do something, they look to you to see if you're proud of them instead of finding the validation from within. So instead, you're supposed to say to them, aren't you proud of yourself or do you feel proud of yourself or something like that so that they learn, right, that the validation comes from inside. And I think that if we could all learn that a little bit about our artwork and, like, what we post, that would be really helpful. Yeah, and give yourself a freaking break. Like, just well, don't be so hard on everything. Every, not everything's a masterpiece. This The artistic process is about play and experimentation and you know, what happens if dot, dot, dot. And people just, you know, they think every page in their journal has to be Instagram worthy. Yeah. You know, that gosh, if that's your goal, then you're trying to be an influencer and not an artist. Well, and even so, like, I think many an influencer has talked about the faking of it because, you know, essentially, uh, you know, fashion bloggers talk about it all the time. You hire a professional photographer. You have 20 outfits. You spend a day running around town. Do you know what I mean? Doing whatever. So you have all this stuff for your Instagram and then you sit home in your sweatpants, you know, being a fashion blogger. And I think... There's plenty of stuff like that in art, which is, uh, you know, this is you have a team of people or you're, you know, using work from years ago or you're I mean, there's just there's just a lot of ways to figure using only a portion of it. You're showing the same piece over and over a thousand different angles. You're you know, I mean, I think people need to relax about it and just create what they love. Well, and I always say social media is a lie. It, yes. It's just a lie. Um, I remember a number of years ago, I had it, one of my children wasn't doing very well, and I canceled a few classes, and people were just shocked. They're like, well, everything's fine on social media. Well, I'm not blabbing my kid's medical history out on social media. Do you know what I mean? Like, people yeah. don't realize that. Yeah. Maybe we should all be posting the ugly stuff, but would that help, or would that just be openness to criticism? I agree. And I think like one of the things that I have uh, noticed is there's a woman I follow who just recently um, adopted a baby. And there are a lot of comments that people say about, you know, 
are how come she's like the best behaved baby on earth and the answer has been of course she's not but like why would i humiliate her by putting pictures of her having a tantrum exactly so i don't understand that at all um so i want to talk a little bit about dino wakely media and about your recent trip to paper world yeah paper world is have you ever been I have not. And so, so for people who don't know, will you tell them all about it? So Paper World, it's actually not just called Paper World. It is a huge convention. There, um, There is not an organization that is behind this convention. convention. Like we have, um, it used to be called CHA, now it's called AFCI, that puts on the trade show for the industry in the U.S. And that is now called Creativation. Well, in Frankfurt, um, this this convention is actually run by this massive convention center um, called the MESA. And so the MESA runs this every year. And so it doesn't have a governing body, which is which is interesting. But so there are different versions or there are different um, halls and floors of this convention. One of the floors is Paper World. Um and one of them is Creative World, which actually, even though I say Paper World all the time, Creative World is actually where the booth is, because Creative World is for art supplies, scrapbooking, mixed media, craft type things. Paper World is more for stationery, pens, office supplies. There is also Christmas World. So if you owned a store and wanted to buy for it, there's, I mean, it's mind blowing to walk through there. There's Flora World and there is a sourcing floor where China, Chinese and um, India come, you know, if they're a factory that makes washi tape, you can walk through and say, can you make my washi tape? And so you can source. Um, so that is in another hall. So creative world slash paper world it is huge. I mean, with the first time I went, I, I was kind of gobsmacked because creativation for all the things that are wonderful about it is is a show that tends to be shrinking and i hope they can turn that around because our you know i love our industry and i don't i really don't want it to go anywhere in turn paper world slash creative world seems to be growing i mean it it's in more than one floor in a in a big hall the booth the booth um design there is up a notch it's it's fascinating some of the some of the booths have um two stories which I think is interesting. I mean, they go all out. And, the, and a lot of the people that will exhibit at Creative World are European companies. So if you had a store and you were interested in finding some you know, new and something unique, I mean, there were companies there who had paint that is made in Turkey and you know, just all over Europe. I can't imagine what the shipping would be to get the stuff to the U.S. But a lot of American companies are trying to tap into a worldwide market. And so this year, especially, there were more American companies at Creative World than I've ever seen. Um, when I walked, I only walked around briefly, but, you know, I was like, oh, they're here this year. Oh, this, this scrap of companies here. And there were just a lot more people. So it, it is an exciting show. It really is. It's too bad it's so far away. Um, the other unique thing about Creative World and Paper World is that they do let in consumers. So while creativation tends to be to the trade only, so designers, retailers, manufacturers, that sort of thing, Paper World has, uh, the first day is, is to the trade only, and then after that, anybody can buy a, a path to walk the floor. So in a sense, they're almost inflating their, um, you know, the floor seems really busy. Well, it might be because they're letting in everybody. Um, but, do you know, they we, sell anything off the floor they, to the consumers or it's not. just demo? It's just demo. And what's funny is the demos there, you walk around and some of these companies, they're so official and they're dressed so nice and, and they're making a painting and there's not a drop of paint to be found. And then you come past where I'm demoing and it looks like, you know, a whole rainbow threw up on the table. And so, you know, people will walk up because they're not used to seeing that kind of mess. But we we demo at the Notions booth, so Ranger does not do their own booth at the show. Would you explain for people who don't know what Notions is, how that whole thing works? So Notions is a distributor. They're massive. They have something like five miles of 
conveyor belt in their warehouse. So what they do is they go to manufacturers of all things from silk flowers to, they even do pet supplies now actually, but craft things, Ranger, every, every company, and then they buy them and then they resell them at wholesale to retailers. So if you have a little mom and pop shop and you might not want to open up an account with, you know, 15 different manufacturers because minimums maybe are high or shipping, you can go to Notions and order there and kind of have a one-stop shop. So Notions is a big arts and crafts distributor. I would say so. so we, we, I was going to say Brother sells their scanning cuts. I know all through Notions and stuff like that. Like even at the at Creativation, we don't sell anything out of the booth. You have to go to Notions if you want to order it. Interesting. Ranger does, you can definitely have an account with Ranger and order directly through them as a retailer. And then they also have distributors and then there are European distributors. So there are several booths. So Notions is, you know, is worldwide. So they have a booth. They had, they had seven people demoing this time um, in the booth. And then the European distributors were also there. And I honestly, I can't remember their names because... <laughs> because i'm dina and they don't really carry much of my products so well i was gonna say the thing that i do think is interesting is so often uh where you were saying like i can't imagine what the shipping would be to get the paint from turkey you know for a lot of european uh you know stores the idea of getting supplies from america just the shipping is mind-boggling but because notions has warehouses it's kind of like amazon to a certain extent in that sense because they have warehouses overseas they bring over the pallets and then you can order the supplies at essentially a much lower shipping because it's not actually coming from america yeah and the other thing that they have done is is because they ship the volume that they ship they have negotiated killer rates i mean when i'm overseas they often tell me I only order through Notions because, I mean, it can be from Notions door to Australia, including clearing customs in four or five days, which is amazing. Wow. wow. So totally it's amazing. just easier. It's, it's easier and convenient for, for especially international stores. Um, they're, they're, a big, they're a big player in the industry for sure. They are. And just because, I mean, let's, let's peel back the industry part of it a little bit more, which is I know there are some people who won't, sell to notions partially because notions uh is selling to the stores at the same price that they would buy directly from the manufacturer which means in order to make a profit they have to be buying it from the manufacturer at an even lower cost so for some manufacturers it cuts too much into their margins so they won't do it and other people say that notions buy such a large amount it makes a huge difference yeah, I I think that's a big part of it. Their volume. I mean, you can't you can't argue with their volume. Right. And then I've also heard the other argument, which some uh, people have said, which is someone will say, oh, I'm a huge customer of yours to a manufacturer. And they say, I don't see any orders from you. And that person has been ordering the product through Notions. And so mm-hmm. it's very hard for them to understand that they're actually a huge customer of Notions. And right. not actually of that manufacturer because of the, just the financial way that it works out. You know what I mean? So that's always an interesting thing because they come expecting, you know, preferential treatment based on being a huge customer, but they're just not actually a huge customer of yours. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot. Yeah. I think there's yeah. a lot of stuff like that that's behind the scenes. Yeah. So let's we talk-, talk about yeah. how I was just how Dina got made that leap into having her own business and what her hookup with Ranger is about. Well, I was already traveling and teaching quite a bit. In 2009, I, by then I had been not, not, not like a crazy woman like I am now, but I I was starting to get busier. Um, And I just think I mostly got noticed because of my blog. And back in the early day of early days of art journaling magazine, you know, they would email me and say, can you, send your journal in. And so I would send it in and then, then I, it would, the article or the issue would come out and they would have put my work on the cover. And, you know, that's one thing that those, those magazines were always looking for pretty much free content because you really didn't could get paid. Um, but it, it did, it did help me as far as um, exposure goes, but you know, I'm not somebody who had this grand plan, like I'm going to take over the world and I'm going to have Dina Wakely media. I mean, it just, I always say everything happened to me accidentally, but, but I worked, my 
butt off. You know, I always say that too, that I'm reliable, meaning I, you know, generally do what I say I'm going to do and I meet my deadlines, which can be a rare thing in the artistic community. I think Julie, you're like that too. I think you meet your deadline and you know, it's like you have to have enough left brain in you to not be a big giant flake. So that gets around as well. But anyway, what's my point? Oh, so in 2009, I went to England and I taught at this ridiculous scrapbook retreat where I had people walk out of my class because I wanted them to uh, speckle paint on their on their album. I mean, it, they were just so not ready for me. But directly from there, I went to teach at a little store in Harrogate called Art from the Heart, owned by Diane Reedley. So she and I met that at that time and became fast friends. And so really the whole Ranger thing happened because of my friendship with her. So she really should get the credit because they approached me and said, you know, we're aware of what you're doing and, you know, you're traveling and teaching a lot. And they like that because, you know, these, these products that we buy and sell, they do education does matter. You have to show people how to use pouring medium. You have to, you know, show 10 ideas for stencils and, you know, it, I was already, um, busy. I, I mean, super busy before, cause I'd written, I written my first book and I had my second one under contract before Ranger approached me. And, you know, it, it was partly through Diane just saying, I'd love to have an ally. You know, yes, she's an art journaler, but she and I are, you know, our artistic styles are very different. And so they, you know, said, Hey, are you interested in talking about it? And I said, yeah. And told them what I thought would be what I thought my line would look like. And then they did extend a contract, which, which has been, you know, it's been a blessing. It's been good. Um, people say all the time, well, wow, they keep you really busy. Well, they, they actually don't keep me really busy. The teaching is all done through my own business. So I have Dina Wakely designs, which is, which is an LLC and have had that for many years. And so my traveling and teaching is all controlled by me and done by me. And then, cause you really don't make a ton of money on royalties. Um, and then, through Ranger, I do have contractual obligations to be at shows, but if, why, why wouldn't I want to be at shows? Because that's where I get to show people, you know, what I'm coming out with. So it's been a good, a good fit, and it really has been a privilege. Privilege. I do feel lucky to have to be part of it. So, for people who aren't familiar with your uh, Dino Wakeley Media, will you just tell us what kind of products you offer? I have mixed media stuff. I have journals, I have paint, brushes, stamps and stencils, mediums, um, just stuff for mixed media. All that. And you have also, I mean, you have some cool like tissue paper that people can collage in. You have your scribble sticks and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Uh, scribble sticks and a new paper book to cut up and use for collage. And just uh, people will say, sometimes say, you know, why did you come up with, with this stamp? And I'm like, it's because I wanted to use it. I mean, I, I don't put products out that I don't want to use. Everything is on a giant, I have a giant wish list. It's like four pages long. <laughs> and so when I go into a meeting with Ranger, I'm like, please, can I have an encaustic iron? Please, can I, you know, and then decisions are made as far as budget and what, you know, something that always bites me in the rear end is the manufacturer minimums from factories. Um, you know, they'll say, sure, we can make that for you, but you have to buy 25000 Well, no no, wow. no manufacturer can, can buy 25000 of something in this, in this industry anymore. So some things get killed um, for reasons like that. But, you know, Ranger's really good about, you know, about support, being supportive of our artistic voice. So I'll go and I'll say, well, I want this. And they'll say, well, why? And I'll say, because this is how I would use it, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, okay, we'll try. And then whether or not the product gets made is a, is a, another story. A lot of factors go into whether a product actually ends up making it to market. Well, you know, do you remember when Jenny Bolin was huge? Yes, and I was on her team. Oh, well, I remember her talking and people said, like, how do you design so many products that are so cool that everyone wants? I actually feel like um, Jenny Bolin and what's her name from uh, the one who's always doing um, shiplap, Joanna Gaines. Like, I feel like they oh, would okay. sort of get along. But anyway, what I was going to say is I remember Jenny Bolin answering that question by saying, uh, I make the things that I want to use. 
And mm-hmm. then I assume that there are other people out there like me. And I've always taken that as being like the single best thing you can do. It's exactly what you said, which is when you start making things that you th- – it's a kind of like the Instagram thing, right? If you start doing things based on likes, guessing what mm-hmm. people want as opposed to making things that you want, A, you lose your voice. But B, you know, you uh, sort of – I think make products that aren't as good, aren't as interesting. And also I would even argue, if I may – that I think that when you start making things that aren't uh, the kind of things that you would use, it makes it makes demonstrating those products a chore because now you have to fake it. It's almost a fallacy if you wouldn't use them. In fact, I'm going to outranger a little bit. So they haven't done this to us very often, but one time they said, okay, everybody's getting this certain product. And we were, I was like, what? Well, I, I would never use that product. And they said, doesn't matter. Everybody's getting, getting it. Choose your colors. Wow. So wow. I was like, okay. Uh, so we, we all chose our colors. Anyway, that product's already retired. Because, and, and I did do my best to demo it and, um, and, and incorporate it in. But it, it was hard because it wasn't the first thing I would reach for. And, you know, I, I think they realized, yeah, it doesn't work when you just say, hey, you're getting this. Right. Um, and it works really well if, if you know, we, we sit in a meeting and I say, oh, you know, I really, I really want a collage book that I can cut up and, you know, then it works really well. I mean, you just, you can't fake it. It's not, I'm not a Kardashian. <laughs> well, I think it's also one of the design team problems, which is, oh. so to speak, like when you're on a design team and people, and they just send you product and you have to use it, like when it doesn't align with who you are, that's extraordinarily mm-hmm. difficult. And didn't we, didn't we both spend many years doing that? You oh, would, yeah. you would get full of stuff and then you're like, I never, I wouldn't even choose this off a shelf. Right. And now I've got to do five projects in a freaking tutorial. I mean, yeah. Whereas I don't have that problem because stuff shows up that I've designed and I'm like, whoa, sweet. And I don't have a problem making samples. So that, that is nice. You, I always think, uh, you know, the designer challenge that you just did, I'm sure that box came and people were like, what the, because it's, it's the same thing. It's not something you would have necessarily chosen. And it's a hard artistic challenge to use products that, you know, wouldn't. Well, let's circle back to something in the beginning of this conversation though, where we were talking about, getting like the pieces of fabric or whatever that you wouldn't necessarily have chosen because they're somebody else's choices. Have you ever gotten an assignment, a product, both of you, and then discovered there were things about it you hadn't realized that you like? My initial reaction is sure, but I can't think of an example. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is there's definitely been stuff that has been like kicking around my craft room that somebody sent me for something that later on I may have used for something because I might have grown into the supply. I think I think the thing is like certain colors and patterns I have found like when I used to get a lot of paper, I found certainly that the things I thought were ugly could often offset something that was attractive. You know, there was a period of time where I was like, I don't like orange, but of course, because I like blue, you have to like orange because orange makes blue look great. But I think there's more stuff like if it was a type of paint that I don't normally use, I'm trying to think what that would be, you know, you know that I'm not going to suddenly like it. Or if I didn't like the qualities of it before, it has really, which, is, which seems to go against the idea of like, try it, you might like it, which is terrible sounding. I don't know. Dina, do you have, do you, do you feel the same way? Do you have stuff like that? Yeah, I do. And you just can't force yourself to like something you don't like, but you do have to try new stuff or you never change. You know what I mean? I mean, you yeah, can't. Like, be, you it's can't like be the idea of some clothes, you look at them on the hanger and you think, oh God, that would never work for me. But then if you try it on, sometimes you discover that your brain can move in that direction and that in fact, unexpectedly, it works for you. I think it's true for me more for techniques than it is for products. Okay. You know, people will be doing things and I'm like, oh, you know, everybody was, years, you know, a couple of years ago, really painting tons of abstract flowers. And I'm like, yeah, flowers, whatever, yawn. You know, then I went to Tokyo and went to UNO Park. I don't know how, if I'm saying that correctly and was blown away 
by what I saw there and came home and was like, I have to paint that. And then got totally obsessed with painting flowers. So, you know, you always never say never, I guess, because, you know, you might think, oh, I'm only a journaler or I'm never going to, I'm never going to use a small journal or a big journal or this, you know, I, I, I also don't impose those sorts of things, but you know, our interests change and some stuff I'm like, yeah, I'm not into that. And then later I'm like, man, I think I am into that. I think the thing is you evolve as a person. We all evolve as people. And the more that you're open to that, po- I mean, this is, I suppose, what keeps me a hoarder because I'm like, well, I don't want to throw this away. What if I actually want to do it later? So I'll just put it in this drawer. Right. <laughs> Which is not always the best and idea. And if you don't evolve, it's so boring. Like I change my class content every year. And if I don't have studio time to develop new classes, who's going to come to class? I mean, people will say to me sometimes, oh, you're really evolving. And I think, I hope so. I hope I'm, I hope I'm evolving. If not, I'm that I'm not doing things right. I had a lady once I was posting something on Instagram because, you know, the meanies do come out and I have lots of funny stories about meme comments and crazy things people have said to me. I'm sure you do too. And she wrote on every single thing I posted that week, not your usual. And I realized later that her her comment of not your usual was if she would have posted it one time, she might've said, Oh, this is different for you. But because she posted it 15 times, I realized this is her way of saying she doesn't like it. Right. And, you know, I just think that's so fast. Well, first of all, it's fascinating that she even had to say that, you know, think it, I don't care if you think it, but you don't, I don't really need to hear it. But, um, I think that, are you telling me that I can't ever do something different? How, you know, how dare you? I I hope I'm never to the position where I'm still doing today what I was doing three years ago. You know, yeah, it's kind of like that scribbly, the scribbly bird stamp set that I came out with my first release. I was telling people the other day, I'm like, okay, that's still my best selling stamp set. It's sweet. People use it a ton. I'm glad people like it, but you will not see me pick that up. I'm so over it. I've, you know, I want to do something else. I've, I've done the birds. Now I got to do something else. I think that it is one of those things where also when you sell products that are from your hand, like your little drawings and all that kind of stuff, or, you know, stencils and stuff, if you are still in like lust with it, then people are starting to make work that looks exactly like what you're currently doing, which I think feels weird, you know, yeah. whereas if it's something that like you loved, but you're kind of done with, you know what I mean? That to me is a more comfortable space to be making those products where people can use them and you don't feel like they're encroaching on top of what you're doing. Well, and that brings up a whole nother, is another a word? Not really. Um, a whole different conundrum with what you and I do, which is make products and then teach how to use products and write, you know, you've written books, I've written books. And then it it can make me pause sometimes when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's an exact copy of a page from one of my books or a page from my Instagram or, you know, gosh, that can be, that can be interesting. And yet at the same time, I teach classes so that you can learn how to do that. Do you see what I'm saying? 100%. So like, I'm not crazy territorial about techniques and um, you know, people will say, oh, am I allowed to teach that? Well, yeah, if you make your own sample and it doesn't look exactly like mine, I, I didn't, we all learn something somewhere. I'm not crazy territorial, but there is a difference between learning something from someone and making it your own and then blatant copy. And I say copying is not a problem as long as you credit and you, you know, and as long as you're not teaching it, you know, if you're, if you're copying it and saying, I'm, I'm working through Dina Wakeley's book and I'm doing all the pages that's what the book's for. Please do that. But you can't then do a class using my exact pages. You've got to come up with some other sample. Well, you don't lose anything by giving somebody else credit. And I've never understood people who feel like that in some way they're missing out. They're losing something when they're like, oh, I was inspired by this, or I learned this from here, or this is a copy of a thing I found in a book. Yeah. I just think give credit that that's not a problem. People will say all the time, Oh, you know, I did this. They'll even send me their sample and say, can, you know, this is what I'm making. Are you going to get mad? And I'll be like, no, it doesn't even look like I did it. And I'm glad you're using that technique differently. I mean, again, I am not territorial. I did not invent stamp stamps. I did not invent paint paint. There's only a couple ways, you know, there's only so many ways to put paint on a, on a piece of paper, but, um, we all, 
we, we need to be cultivating our individual artistic voices. And, you know, how you do that is you learn. You take a Julie class and you learn Julie's method. You take a Dina class and you learn Dina's method. And then you go back and you put in the, qu- the quantity of work that loves your own voice emerge. And I think people miss that quantity part. Yeah. And you got you to gotta suck. Do you make art every single day? Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, do you mean for me or for deadlines? Either. For anything. Almost, I would say, pretty much. Um, I definitely need to do better this year at taking an hour every day and doing something that is not deadline-oriented. Because so last hard. year... It is hard. Last year kicked my rear end for lots of different reasons, and this year's looking crazy busy as well. So that means I have to take control over, over my time and I waste plenty of time people are like oh you're so busy I know I am busy but you know how much time I waste watching Netflix seriously like I there's I definitely can you know find an hour a day to to do something that is beneficial for my own growth it is true although I will also say that like a thing that I've definitely come to is that because I mean I'm a workaholic I think you're a workaholic and like the need you you have three kids I have this wreck of a house like you know when you are when you're trying to earn the money and make something happen, it's like you're very aware of the fact that if you're not constantly peddling, nothing's happening. Yeah. But, well, and if you, yeah. But if you don't work for yourself, who will? Exactly. Exactly. And so I think, but the thing that I've really have come to, or at least I'm trying to come to right now, is the idea that I need to live a life and like have some things in order to make that working happen so i think i do better when i'm like i'm gonna go at this hardcore three hours let's get this done you know what i mean and then the treat is i do get to spend two hours watching netflix i do get to spend two hours hanging out with friends you know what i mean instead of just being like work 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 work. you also make choices because i was gonna say julie's thing her her New Year's resolution was to read more and read her phone less. And in fact, she has surprised herself by re- what reading five books since January. Yeah, I mean, I get I, I the bad news is, you guys, I love my phone, and I apparently have wasted hours and hours of my life Me reading too. my phone. So the good news is, it turns out that I can actually turn away from the phone and do other things it's hard though i'm not gonna lie like i still have to every morning like force myself to pick up the book instead of the phone but don't you think the phone becomes a mindless activity because when your work is so busy as yours is and mine is and then you know you have this house which is also busy you know then when you have something mindless like scroll 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 it just yeah it's comfort it's comfort food for your brain But I had a, I've had a similar thing in the middle of last year, I decided, you know, I waste so much time in the evening, um, scrolling through my phone that adds a little, that adds no value to my life. So my dad gave me a book called 3000 questions and he wanted me to fill it out and give it back to him. And one of the questions that really made me stop and think was, what do you do that adds no value to your life? And I thought, you know, I have to use social media for my business. And I do enjoy seeing what people are up to because I'm a social person, but you know, it's like moderation, not debt, not over, you know, anything in moderate or everything in anything in abundance can kill you. I mean, carrots can kill you if you eat too many, right? Because you have that vitamin A stored in your liver. (laughs) So even good things done in, in over abundance can be bad. And so I, that's why I started knitting, um, at night and started embroidering again and started weaving. And then it had really positive effects on, my work because I started incorporating little weavings into figures I was doing and it ended up being a really good thing to to get off my freaking phone but I have a goal too to read to read more um this year because I thought in the amount of time that I am constantly scrolling I could I could have read 10 million books and then the other thing that I do is even if I have a five minute wait somewhere I'm popping Facebook open and I'm scrolling and I think that is such a waste to to be so engrossed in something pointless there was a study recently reported on that actually deleting your facebook account makes you happier 
I know. You know, and you know why I just can't do it? It's because of the business aspect. But. Yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's one of those things where you have to find, and I've heard this a million times where people, it's just so hard to do, which is you have to find the line, which is like, okay, uh, I do this for this amount of time. Like I check Instagram once a day during this hour and that's it. And that's an hour of your life that you're giving to it. But can that be it? Right. Discipline. Yeah. It's really hard. It is hard because I feel like I'm pretty disciplined. I mean, I get my deadlines done. I sit in the studio and try to try to work because I do think it's, I really do think it's about work. Have you ever read Art and Fear? Mm-mm. Can't think of the name of the the um, author. So he says in Art and Fear that talent doesn't matter. In art, he says what what matters is work because talent gives you a head start off the you know off the starting line. You, you you get you get to start a little bit earlier if you have if you have a talent, but what gets you to the finish line is work because how many people have talent and then don't do anything? Right. I mean that's you know Stephen King has a really similar quote something about talent is everywhere but you know that's like showing up is half the battle yeah, yes it, absolutely there are few there aren't as many finishers you know there's there are lots of want tos wants and you know, not a lot of finishers. So, you know, I feel like I'm pretty disciplined about putting the work in, but then my free time is a waste of space. So I think it's all really difficult. And maybe we should just like we say to, you know, students that they should give themselves credit for their work. Maybe we should give ourselves credit for, you know, we do work hard. And like the fact that you have some wasted time, like that's life, you're human. Well, sometimes it's all you can do to, I mean, this is, this is personal and, you know, this is not a matter of hearing all of Dina's problems, but I mean, I went through a period where my depression was really bad and all I could manage was functioning in my work, getting it done. I did absolutely nothing extra. And then I laid in bed and watched Netflix and scrolled through Instagram. And that literally was all I could do. Well, then when I started getting better, I was in the habit of only doing that. And I realized, oh, now this is a habit that now I actually can get up and go to dinner with friends or I can, you know, pick up something and do something else. But, you know, the habit had taken over. So I guess, you know, there's no shame. And if that's all you can do, there's absolutely no shame in that. Um, but when you can do better <laughs> and you realize you can do better, you know, that maybe. Or maybe up- not even better, but different. different. Yeah, different. I agree fully. And I think that that is the same thing that this is what we talked about at the beginning too: being conscious of yourself, being conscious of your habits, realizing, you know, that you're OCD, realizing that you have trouble loosening up, realizing those things and then making choices to counteract them, you know, I think is extraordinarily helpful. Yeah. It's like, what do you want to be? Yes. If you're super OCD and you want to make art like Dina, then you have to unclench and you've got to make a lot of, you know, you have to change your process and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's kind of like a friend of mine right now is in the Maldives and somebody put it on her Facebook. Oh, you're so lucky. And she said, yes, I'm indeed a lucky girl. And I almost wrote back and I said, are you, are you lucky or did you make it happen? (laughs) You know, did you save the money and make the arrangements and get your butt there because it's something you wanted. And I feel like that's really true with art. Like if you, you want to be loosey goosey free artist, then, you know, you're not lucky if you get there, you put the work in, you make it happen, you set you, an hour a day, you change your process, you learn, you research, and you put the work in. So I don't love it when people say, oh, you're so lucky, you're so lucky. I'm like, am I lucky or did I, do I just work? The, do I work? The harder I work, the luckier I get. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I also think there is a thing uh, that we do as women, too, about wanting to be humble about stuff and not saying, like, you know, I worked for this, I did this. And it's a funny thing, right? Because if you ran a marathon, you would be like, yeah, I trained every day and I worked out and it was really hard and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And somehow if you complete, like, an amazing painting or an amazing, like, mural or work of art, you don't have the same feeling that you should say, you know, this is two years of, you know, incredibly hard work that came to this moment. Yeah. And, and we never seem to acknowledge the, 
you know, the, re- the c- control all deletes, the reboots. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we just don't, even Rembrandt, they've, they've done all the, all the scans of his paintings and some of his paintings have revisions under them because he, you know, he revised stuff and, and we know because we've scanned it. It's like, we're just way too hard on ourselves, I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, let that be the lesson that we take away from today then. Uh, so it's time for us to wrap up. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, Dina. No, I'm good. I think I've blathered on for plenty of time. <laughs> and so then where can people find you online? Uh, DinaWakely.com is my website. Um, but Instagram, DinaWakely, all one word. And remember, it's W-A-K-L-E-Y. <laughs> People will say, I sent you an email and you never responded. And I'm like, well, how did you spell my last name? Uh, L-E-Y. And then I am on Facebook as Art of Dina Wakely. Uh, And mom, is there anything you want to add? No, but I have to say, I have the deepest respect for the two of you because I think you've really thought about what you do and you've worked really hard to build up businesses basically on your own. And... I think uh, uh, I think that's pretty much of a huge achievement. There you go. Yay us. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Thanks. Yay. Thanks, Julia. <laughs> so as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag artingpodcast. If you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes because that helps other people find us. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.